check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, an integrative palliative medicine physician. If you are a physician or other healthcare provider passionate about taking care of people with serious or chronic illness, you are in the right place. Our motto is whole person care for people with serious illness using all the tools that work. Welcome, integrative palliative people. Today, we're going to talk about who's afraid of an advanced directive. So sometimes people don't like to talk about advanced directives, they get weirded out by it, they don't want to think about death or that, you know, if you get very sick someday, but I just really want to encourage all of us that this is just part of life. It's just one of the things you have to do, like putting your money in a savings account. It's just part of preparing. And if you're kind of a control freak and you want to make sure that you are always in charge, this is the way to make sure that you're always in charge because an advanced directive writes down for your future medical team taking care of you sometime in the future, what you would want and how you would want them to take care of you. So keeps you in control. So we're going to talk about the difference between an advanced directive and a MULST or PULST. That's a medical order for life-sustaining treatment or a physician order for life-sustaining treatment. They're the same thing, but different states call them different things. So let's start with an advanced directive. Advanced directives have two parts. The first part is the choice of a medical power of attorney or healthcare power of attorney. Those are the same thing. And that is the choice of the person who you would want to speak for you to the medical team if at some point in the future you were too ill to speak for yourself. So that should be somebody that you trust, somebody that you've discussed your wishes with so that they will have some basic idea about how you feel about end-of-life care or really aggressive interventions if you're near the end of life. You want them to know what you would want, and then you want to put them on your form. Ideally, you would put one person as the primary and then a person or two as backup. I don't recommend, for example, that people put all four of their children as their medical power of attorney in equal status, because it means that the medical team will have to speak to each one of those people in order to make any decision. So you can either put one as the primary and then the others as second, third, and fourth, or you can put them down with an or, as in child one or child two or child three. Then if there's somebody at the bedside, the medical team can talk to that person to get decisions made. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that your whole family can't talk together about decisions for you. Ideally, that would happen, but it gives the medical team one person to talk to. Okay, so that's the first part of the advanced directive is the medical power of attorney or healthcare power of attorney. The second part is the living will. And the living will is an if-then kind of situation, meaning if this thing happens to me, then I would want that thing. So if I'm in a persistent vegetative state, I would or would not want CPR or intubation, for example. So usually the three categories are if I'm in a persistent vegetative state, if I have an end-stage condition, or if I'm near to the end of life. So the advanced directive gives the person the opportunity to say, if I'm at the end of life, how aggressive do I want my care to be? 
Now, some advanced directives have a section where the person filling them out can choose if they give flexibility or no flexibility to their healthcare power of attorney. I recommend that people put flexibility as long as you trust that person, which hopefully you do since you chose them to be your medical power of attorney, because this means that if some weird circumstance happens in the future and your medical power of attorney who really cares about you and knows what you would want thinks that, gosh, you know, maybe for a three-day trial, it would be appropriate to intubate you, for example, you want to give them the flexibility to know you, think about you, talk to the doctors, think about what's the medical situation and make a decision that's in your best interest. So that is ideal. The other one that you kind of want to give special attention to is the choice of a feeding tube. I have seen a fair amount of advanced directives where people have said, in the event of persistent vegetative state or end-of-life condition, I don't want CPR, I don't want intubation, but I do want a feeding tube. And sometimes that can go poorly. So here's an example that happened to a real patient of mine, and it broke my heart, honestly. This was a lovely older woman who had a terrible stroke, and she was now completely unresponsive, but she didn't die. And the physicians did not think that she was ever going to wake up again. And she had one really loving son who really cared about her. And he said, oh my gosh, my mom was so vibrant, you know, so engaged with people. She would hate to live like this. Definitely do not put in a feeding tube because she would not want to live like this. Let's call hospice. And, you know, this is probably the end of her life. And then he said, oh, I found her advanced directive. And we were like, great, wonderful. Bring in her advanced directive. Let's look at it. And unfortunately, this advanced directive said that in the event of an end-stage condition, she would want a feeding tube. And she checked the box that did not give her son flexibility. So even though he was sure that she would not want to get a feeding tube, be transferred to a nursing home, and spend perhaps the next year of her life at risk of bed sores and recurrent trips to the hospital, given that she was never going to wake up again, the medical team felt obligated to do that because it was specifically in her advanced directive and she didn't give flexibility to her healthcare agents. So in many cases, choosing a feeding tube may end up going against the best interest of the patient. Um, or at least if someone chooses that, they should give flexibility to their healthcare agents so that, that the person, if it turns out that feeding tube would prolong a life in a quality in which the person would not be content with that quality, then um, they don't have to follow that directive. Okay, so that's an advanced directive. It has two parts, the medical power of attorney determination and the living will part. And an advanced directive is really for the future. It's not really for now. It's for a theoretical far in the future time when something could happen to me or I could be at end of life and this is what I think that I would want. It's for the future. A most or post is much more for the present. So for someone who has already a pretty serious illness or is perhaps getting closer, not at the end of life, but closer to the end of life than I hope that I am, then it is appropriate to think about having a most or post. So advanced directive is like far in the future, the most or post is closer to now. And it asks those same kinds of questions. Would you want CPR? Would you want intubation? Would you want a feeding tube or dialysis or to come back to the hospital or to have further tests, antibiotics, etc.? Now, one other difference between the timing of an advanced directive and a most or post is that 
A most or post is an order. It's a physician or nurse practitioner order, whereas an advanced directive is not. So that means if your loved one is at home and they have an advanced directive that says, don't do aggressive things, and they code at home and somebody calls 911, but they don't have a most, then when EMS comes, they're going to resuscitate that person, try to resuscitate that person. And even if you whip out their advanced directive, they're going to say, sorry, I can't listen to that because that's not an order. If, on the other hand, you have a MOLST or POLST and it says, do not resuscitate, that's an order, and then they can stop. So be aware that advanced directive is for far in the future and it's not an order. The MOLST is more for now and it is an order. Now, when people are making these decisions, would I want this or would I want that? Really, what we're asking them to do is bring two different things together. So one of them comes from the patient, and that is, who are you? What is important to you? What are your values? What are your goals? So that part is all about the patient. We don't know about that. We're there if we're having a conversation with the patient to figure that out. Who are they? What's important to them? The other part, and this is the part that we bring, is what is the medical reality? So that combination of things, who are you and what are your values with what is your medical reality? That is how good decisions get made. So sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that they shouldn't be trying to, quote, convince a patient in any direction. And it's true, you shouldn't try to convince them, but you definitely should bring the accurate medical reality to the table, to the conversation. And then the piece of the patient about who they are, we can try to elicit it, but we're not going to change it. And we don't want to try to convince somebody out of who they are and how they see the world. So for example, if someone's value is that no matter what, no matter what the quality, they want every single day on this earth, no matter what, then it may be appropriate to do pretty aggressive things, even if they are coming to the end of their life and even if the quality of their life is what we personally might consider not great, because that's the person's value system, that quantity of life, no matter what is the most important, then for them, even if they're very sick, aggressive care might be appropriate. Now, to be honest, for me, if I can't wake up, if I can't communicate with my loved ones or experience the world in some way, I'm ready to move on to whatever's next. So that's my value system. That's what's important to me. So if I am near the end of life and the physicians say, you know, intensive interventions are unlikely to work for you or significantly improve your life, or they may prolong your life, but you may be sedated, paralyzed, and hooked up to a breathing machine for the rest of your life until you die, I don't want that. So for me, that would not be appropriate. But for somebody with a different value system, it would be appropriate. So that combination of figuring out what is the patient or family's value system and what is the medical reality, that's how good decisions get made. Okay, so don't be afraid to talk to your patients about these things. Even patients who are perfectly well should have advanced directives. Even physicians who are perfectly well should have advanced directives. So your homework for the week is that if you don't have an advanced directive, please go fill out an advanced directive. And if you have loved ones who don't have an advanced directive, please encourage them to fill out an advanced directive. 
So thank you so much for being a part of this community. Remember, you can't pour from an empty cup, so be sure to take care of yourself as well as you take care of your patients. And I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you liked what you heard, please give us a like, follow us, tell your colleagues, and join our community at www.tiipm.org. See you next week.